Oh, the joy of an Easter morning. I love it. If you notice, something is a little bit different up here because we normally don't paint in the middle of the services, but today on Easter, there's a little surprise for you as Michelle Brindle is going to uh, paint through the sermon. So I don't actually get to see it, so you all are going to see something develop that I don't really get to see, which I also love that surprise. But would you join your hearts together with mine as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day where you gather us together around your word, where you create, where you bring life, where you have gathered us to hear of your life-giving and forgiving word in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would remove distractions from our hearts and minds, that you would move by your spirit and let us hear of your love for us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Humbug. Now, I know all your minds just went to Christmas. Kind of fun, huh? You're imagining Charles Dickens. You're imagining Ebenezer Scrooge. And for those of you that have been in our theater, you're imagining all the roles you played and all the things that happened over those nights and weeks in which you prepared for a Christmas story. Well, not a Christmas story, but for Scrooge. Thank you. And so, as we think of this word humbug, what does this have to even do with Easter? We'll get there. Let's walk through the text a little bit. Maundy Thursday has happened. Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples. He has fed them a meal in which he has put himself into the midst of the Passover meal. They have celebrated Passover, where God redeemed his people out of Egypt and out of slavery, gathered them together as his own people, and moved them into a promised land, a place where he would be there with them and in their presence as their God. That's what's been celebrated on Monday, Thursday. That meal was enjoyed. They went through the evening and then into a garden where there was prayer, betrayal, and then denial, trials, suffering, eatings, a crucifixion, and a death. Our Lord died. does not make sense to us that a God could die, yet this is what happened. Jesus, in his humanness and his divinity, stood in our place and hung in our place upon the cross to carry our sins there, so that our record of sins, as we went through on Good Friday, our record of sins would be paid for by His death, by His blood. So then when we look upon the cross, it's not us who hang there, but we see Jesus there in our place dying for us. And on Good Friday, we left it there. And as all the disciples and the women who were there as followers of Jesus as well as they had scattered on that good Friday night and they went home to rest on the Sabbath as Jesus rested in the tomb on the very same Sabbath because all of his creative work and forgiving work was done. He rested sometime after sunset on Saturday. Sometime after the night had started to come up and the sun had gone down and sometime after that in the middle of the night as the moon rose and the soldiers stood at the tomb thinking they had a pretty easy detail guarding a dead man. Sometime in the midst of that, things changed. Something happened. 
Something happened as the sun rose that morning, and as the ladies walked out preparing to go and prepare a body for burial as they would do, because see, that process would take months and months. There were several steps to it, but the first one as the Sabbath had ended was to take their spices that they had prepared and to prepare Jesus' body for burial, for his final resting place. And as they walked the road, mourning, grieving, trying to figure out why this sun had come up and possibly even why this was such a peaceful morning after the Passover as they make their way down the path to the tomb, they notice something very out of place. The stone has been rolled away. The stone that was sealed with a Roman seal. The stone that was guarded by soldiers and a lot of them. And that stone was out of place. There's no reason that stone should have been out of place. There's no reason that tomb should have been open. And you can imagine the wheels turning in their mind as they went. What happened? How did this occur? Where is Jesus? Is he sitting in there waiting for us? Is he gone somewhere else? And as they make their way closer and closer, you can just imagine the thoughts rolling. Have they already set down the spices and herbs? Have they already put that aside knowing that they don't need to prepare a body anymore? And they walk in and they see where he was laying. And there's just cloths there. And as they bowed their heads, because you could make your way into a tomb, you just might have to duck a little bit as you walk into this space. And as they bow their heads and are wondering what is going on, there's two men. At least that's the best way to describe them. I mean, their clothes were dazzling white, shining white, and they stood there. <laughs> what? Ladies, why do you look for the living among the dead? Such a simple question. Why do you seek he who is alive in this place of death? Why are you looking for him here in this tomb? He's not here. He's risen. Just as he told you he would be, don't you remember when he said when he was with you in Galilee so many weeks and months ago that the Son of Man must suffer and die and on the third day rise again? You can imagine as those light bulbs go off, in their minds as they start to open their eyes and see the truth of the situation that this is no longer something perplexing and probably still wondering where Jesus is. There's this little tiny part of me that really wishes Jesus was like behind the rolled stone just giggling. Kind of <laughs> going, I bet you can't find me. <laughs> I would love that if he was just like hanging out around the corner somewhere and be like, oh man, this is going to be fun. When they walk out, I'm just going to go, hey, what's up? <laughs> it would be so fun. Yet they leave in a hurry and they run back to where all the guys were gathered up in the upper room still as they had been gathering together for fear of what had happened, knowing that their Lord was crucified, having no idea what was going on. The ladies run in and they say, He's alive! He is risen! You can answer that. He is risen indeed. Alleluia! And as, he, as they stand there, you can hear every single one of them go, Ah, humbug. Humbug's a fun word. Can you all say it? Humbug. All right. 
We know it as Scrooge. We know it as a Christmas thing. Yet humbug actually came about in 1750, I think, was when the term actually came to be. And as that word got into use, basically it just means nonsense, no value, deception, something that doesn't even have any value or meaning. An idle tale, a silly story. Something that doesn't even need to be repeated because it's just a deception. It's just something that's going to lead people the wrong way. Ah, humbug. Now, you can have a lot of fun with that word, too. P.T. Barnum was known to love that word. In fact, as people would try to ridicule him for all the things he did, they titled him the Prince of Humbug as one that would take things and exaggerate the story a bit. And yeah, the 750-pound man, maybe he was only 275 pounds, but at the sideshow and in the circus, you could just exaggerate and bring joy and make people laugh and have some fun. Yet, it wasn't all true. Humbug. How many times do people in our day and age hear this account of Christ risen from the dead and hear the eyewitness writings of all the people that see it and all the people that saw it anyway and have shared it through all the ages. Look at all of the non-Christian writers who say, yes, Jesus was a man. Jesus lived in Second Temple Judaism around, um, well, we put it as 0 AD, you know, but in the time of Herod and Pilate and that He was definitely something different and did mysterious things and there's mystery around his death and we can't answer it. All those things are written by historians who would rather attack the Christian church than support it. Yet every single one of their words lines up with every bit of Scripture. But see, Scripture fills in the details. You're right, there is mystery around it because the dude walked out of the tomb. He's alive. See, it's not humbug. It's not a deception. It's so many people hear it and they say, that has no value for me. How does that change my life now? What difference does that make for me here and in this time? Because if that doesn't help me pay bills or have a happier life or make everything okay in the midst of my sadness, then there's no value in it. I'd rather find something that would give me those things in another place. And so they discount every single word of Scripture. They discount it and say no one raises from the dead now, so how could somebody have raised back then? It doesn't make sense. It's a deception. It has no value. It's humbug. Well, Peter had to check it out. So as Peter runs to the tomb after hearing these words. He had to verify it. He had to see it for himself. I'm sure he trusted these ladies to an extent because they've been with him. They're all part of the same family at this point around Christ, knowing that his love is for all of them and that his words are true. Yet, sometimes you still got to see it for yourself. And so as he runs down the same path that they ran and he goes to the tomb and he rushes straight in, sees the exact same thing that the ladies saw. The exact same empty tomb. The exact same thing that is no idle tale or silly story, but is the actual thing that happened. The actual event that occurred and as he walks away from that place perplexed 
and marveling and wondering. You can just imagine his wheels turning. I thought maybe this was a silly story, but it's not. He is alive. Where is he? When will we see him? When will he be back? Is this a time where all of the resurrection is going to happen? Or is it just him? When are we going to see the risen Jesus? You have to come back for a few more Sundays as we go through the text to find that part out. But at this point, as Peter leaves pondering these events, he knows they're true. Just as you all do. There's always something sitting inside of you that as much as you may ponder whether or not this stuff is actually true, there's something pulling at you and, and creating a longing within you to hold on to this word. There's a side of you that may say this is just too good to be true. And you may wonder, what value is there in me that deserves this Lord? I'll tell you what, you may not see it, but he does. Jesus has value in you and sees value in you because he created you. He gave you life and continues to give you life. And you're right, there are times when all of his words don't make sense at all, yet resting in the promises of our baptism, knowing that the life that he gives through that is his very own life for you, that as he lives, so you too will live, and the value is immeasurable. Jesus lives for you. And that is no humbug. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, your love for us has a value beyond anything we could ever imagine. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to work by your Spirit. Open our hearts, open our minds to let that word sink in deep and shape us and form us in your grace and mercy. As Jesus has conquered death and is victorious over all the things that would separate us from you, and no matter what our days look like now, we pray, Lord, that you keep our eyes focused on Christ, our risen Lord, our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You all got to see something I didn't as that developed, and that's pretty cool. Thank you very much, Michelle. That's beautiful.